Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, the podcast where we talk about soundtracks and our personal connections to them. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the 1984 Albert Magnoli film, Purple Rain. Today, my guest is a good friend of mine. He is also the person who officiated my wedding. Welcome to the podcast, Reverend Kevin Doy. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's always a great Thank time you for coming when on. we're talking about Prince. I know. Um, you are the biggest Prince fan I know, so I thought you'd appro- <laughs> be appropriate for the podcast. Kevin, why are we talking about Purple Rain today? Well, it's obviously the iconic album from Prince. I think um, artistically, you know, he had some wonderful albums I'm really familiar with that I think shaped kind of the soundtrack of my growing up. And I was as surprised as maybe anyone that Purple Rain, uh, you know, kind of took off because before that, his albums didn't sell really that well. And he was often ridiculed in... um, a lot of demographics. Uh, he was very popular on, on black radio at the time. Um, but, you know, he was a bit of an enigma. People couldn't figure him out. He, you know, had this kind of androgynous, you know, look to him. Um, and so I think people didn't know where to, where to fit him. And he certainly wasn't great for radio per se. And yet this album just really took off. I think it was probably, at least at the time, maybe, in his catalog, the most kind of pop out of his records. And it just, it just, um, you know, launched him into a, a different stratosphere. And he, you know, he, Prince was a household name after that. So in 1984, there's no internet, there's no IMDB. So how did you find out about Purple Rain and what did you think of and as a fan, what did you think of Prince trying to transition into doing film? I think I was skeptical, actually. Uh, again, as you mentioned, it's like pre-internet, um, you know, really pre-MTV, all of that. So all we had was the radio and record stores. And in Los Angeles, uh, 1580K-Day and KJLH were the, the two prominent black stations. And those are the stations I would listen to. Mm-hmm as an Asian American who just really loved R&B and soul music. That was kind of what our group of friends listened to. And so I remember as a freshman in high school, which is like 1978, on the radio, the song called Soft and Wet. Uh, and it was the first time I ever heard of Prince and was exposed to his music. And I remember like he was really big in our little house parties. And uh, I have a 45 still of that, of that record. And, you know, from there, he, he went on to make, uh, you know, I Want to Be Your Lover on his second album, which I have in vinyl when it came out. Um, and then he had this, you know, highly sexualized uh, third album. And then Controversy was, was his fourth album, which I love. That's 
still to this day probably my favorite Prince album. But as you can imagine, it, it was like you know again it didn't sell that well. He was pretty controversial. The closest thing in those days that I could equate him to was he seemed to be kind of in the same line as a Marvin Gaye who talked and uh, made this uneasy connection between spirituality and sexuality. And so, you know, that's the Prince I knew. And so for him to come out with the movie, you know, was, I had, I was very skeptical about what it could be. And, you know, he's not an actor. So I just thought, oh man, this is, this is not going to uh, go very well. Um, uh, but I was curious, you know, and um, I think I found out about the movie, uh, like any movie in those days, you opened up the LA Times in the calendar section and you looked at the ads. Um, there was pages and pages of movie um, ads and you would look at the little boxes to find out where I was playing. And I remember going with my friends to go see, see Prince. And um, yeah, it was just, uh, the record had come out already and was very popular, um, both kind of in the car radio type of listening, but also all, at all the dance parties and hotel parties we used to go to back in the day in college. And I thought the movie, what was so wonderful about the movie was that because there was no internet, and Prince is already a private person, there was really no way to know him, like know anything about his background. You know, I, all I knew was, you know, he played all the instruments, did all the vocals, like he was this like incredible prodigy. And, and so the fact that it was semi-autobiographical, I'm not sure how much of it totally lined up with his life, but it, the fact that it um, kind of told a story in this really interesting way, and then to have, you know, the music as a soundtrack, and also to have those really powerful live performances as part of the movie was, um, yeah, just really wonderful. So going into the movie, um, I know you were kind of skeptical, but from what you saw in the ad in the LA Times, did it kind of match your expectations of what you were gonna, what you ended up seeing? Yeah, I don't, I can't remember what I was expecting. I, I think I had no idea what the movie was about. Quite frankly, I don't even remember if there was a tagline attached to the movie. But you know, "Does Cry" was out as a single. I think "Let's Go Crazy" might have been out. The, the album was just taking off and was fantastic. And so I think that's really what drew people to to the film, as far as I could remember and recall. And, you know, our worlds were real small back in those days. You know, it was really hard to tell how popular it was. Or, But I know my friends, we loved it. We saw it multiple times. And, um, yeah, in subsequent years, it was like one of those movies that, you know, never, we never got tired of watching. And, um, you know, I think it's held up well over these years too, amazingly. You know, some of these kind of concert footage films or films with non-actor musicians in them don't always uh, age well, but uh, this seemed to, to, to age well, as well as this music. The movie was made for $7 million and ended up making 10 times its budget. So obviously a success financially, um, and it's kind of amazing that, you know, there are really no name actors. I believe the actors that play his parents uh, had been in previous films, 
but you know, I think Clarence Williams was like part of the mod squad. He was in the, you know, he was his father in the film. Right. But, but yeah. you know, no, like no A-list <laughs> actors are in this movie. Yeah. And Apple everyone played themselves basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone's playing Worst themselves. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Prince is playing quote the kid, but you know, Morris day is the bad guy. Right. Right. And he's right. walking around with Jerome. Like these are all people basically in Prince's orbit. That's right. At least in my circles, like the time was like, they were equally as stellar as Prince because <laughs> we were going to dance parties and, you know, in some ways their music was easier to dance to. And so, you know, I think we were, you know, we enjoyed the film not only for Prince, but, you know, seeing the time there. And then, you know, back in those days, we, you know, we didn't know Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were going to be what they'd become. Um, and then Apollonia, obviously, but, you know, Vanity Six was, was really popular as well. So there was this whole Prince world that was on film that... Um, you know, that at least those of us who, who love Prince, we were kind of led into his world a bit. And I think that was part of the fascination. Yeah, like most of the film is shot in Minneapolis. Yeah. You know, the revolution, while um, not called the revolution in the film, they're in the movie. You know, Wendy and Lisa mm-hmm. obviously play an integral part in the film. Um, I would assume all the extras of First Avenue are not white pasty Hollywood extras that they're just white pasty Minnesotans who wanted to be in the Prince movie. Right. Right. Yeah. And the the fact it was filmed, you know, basically on location is hometown and all the haunts he would, you know, play at, I think it's early in the movie. I think it's uh, take me with you where he's on his bike with Apollonia on the back and, you know, they're driving through the countryside. I mean, with that, you know, with that particular song, it's just like, it's, it's really magical. And, you know, if someone from LA, I have no idea what Minnesota's like, (laughs) you know, so again, it's just kind of opened up um, his life for us on the big screen. Yeah. And so it was just, it, it, it was like one of those films where it wasn't just about a film that stars Prince, but it was like, um, letting us a bit into his life and, you know, all the intrigue about like how much is of what's portrayed on film is true and, you know, all of that. So um, I think it made it, um, it kind of drew you in in that way. Yeah. And clearly shooting the film in Minnesota and having him play with basically his band and having Morris day and the time in the movie, um, he's, He's asking you to read into it as basically an autobiographical movie. Right, right. I, I'm curious to know, because, you, you know, you, you grew up uh, in and around Minneapolis, and um, I know that you're younger than I am, but just what you, your recollections of Prince and what it meant for um, your hometown and for you personally, um, you know, Minnesota was always to me just as some kind of Midwestern town that, uh, not, that's a state. Minneapolis is a Midwestern town. Um, and, and so there was always kind of this mystery that this, um, you know, this musical genius would come out of there and never really moved to LA. And so, um, 
you know, what, what's your recollections? So I was born in the 80s, so I kind of wasn't very, I guess I wasn't very, um, I don't know, cognizant of exactly what was going on. I remember, you know, Prince was always on the radio, and part of that was because he was, you know, cranking out the hits. You know, this is kind of the peak of his hit-making career. After I moved to California and when I really started getting into music and I started, you know, exploring, you know, whether it be Prince or like The Replacements, I started realizing that I knew a lot more of their catalog than I realized because I think yeah. it was just constantly on the radio. Looking back, I really realized that, you know, Prince had this galvanizing effect on the city and its music scene. Um, so Purple Rain, all the musical performances take place at a club called First Avenue, which is still, um, which is still in Minneapolis. It's mm. still this beloved rock club. And I remember, like on social media, I saw someone post like a concert calendar of First Avenue in like 1984, 1985, and you know it's got Prince and and the Replacements are playing and is playing all in like like a two-week span you know <laughs> wow. and just to think of how exciting that had to have been to be a music lover in wow. you know minneapolis at the time like you had all this stuff going on and obviously prince prince's success or prince's genius is you know kind of getting other people to start bands you know it's kind of like the seattle scene right everyone mm. is trying to find the next nirvana you know, when Prince is exploding nationally, you know, people are looking for maybe not the next Prince, but Minneapolis kind of became this hub for music in the 80s. Mm. Amazing. Now, when you watched the film, were you were you able to identify the different locations um, in the film and the geographical locations? And Um. I mean, uh, uh, most of the film takes place in Minneapolis, and that definitely looks like Minneapolis to me. I'm quite aware of what downtown Minneapolis looks like, and um, you know, there's ten thousand lakes in Minneapolis, uh, <laughs> ten thousand lakes in Minnesota, so I can't be like, oh yeah, I know that lake. I never really read anywhere, but I wonder if I wonder if Prince had, you know, it could just simply be that it, you know, to make it authentic, he he wanted it there uh, to be filmed there, but. Also, if he's somehow playing, you know, paying some homage to, to the city, um, I, I kind of always wondered that, because it's it's just shot so wonderfully, um, you know. Yeah, um, I I assume he wanted some sort of authenticity, knowing that that it's gonna, you know, people are gonna read into it about it being about his life. Yeah. yeah. Regardless. Yeah. But I think, you know, just with everyone that he wanted in the movie already being in Minnesota, it's just easier to film it in Minnesota than flying everyone out to L.A., sure, you know? Sure, sure, sure. With Moore's, you know, Moore's Day and, and Jerome and, you know, the revolution, <laughs> like, they're all they're already there. And I, you know, I don't, you know, he doesn't have songs about Minnesota specifically that I'm familiar with. But, um, you know, I think he just had a real... He had a real love for being from there. You know, he ended up, 
he ended up building Paisley Park in Minnesota. That's where he lived till he pretty much passed. Hmm. I'm sure he had houses elsewhere, but you know, Minnesota was home base to him. Yeah. I actually got to go to Paisley Park um, a couple years ago. So it's turned into a museum and uh, they've done a good job with it. Um, I don't know if they're making enough money to keep it open long term, but that was a pretty cool experience. Oh, must be amazing. Yeah, um, we got to go into a lot of rooms. Apparently there are like rooms inside rooms inside rooms that like are like there's different tiers of the tour, but um you know, we got they they made his basketball court room into what they call the purple rain room. So they had the motorcycle from the film and a couple other, you know, some mm. memorabilia and stuff uh, in there. Um, I believe that is the room that uh, Dave Chappelle or Charlie Murphy is uh, referencing in that Chappelle show sketch where mm. Mm. they end up playing basketball and he offers them pancakes at the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a cool tour. Um, so, you know, we learned about Purple Rain and then we learned that uh, he directed Under the Cherry Moon and then he wrote and directed Graffiti Bridge um, as far as the the Prince starring or the Prince trilogy goes. Yeah. Not that we need to talk about whether those movies are good. Most people are probably saying no, but that's not the point. <laughs> to me, the conversation back, I... I recall that Purple Rain served the film, served in, a, in kind of the same way that the Motown 25 um, program when it debuted on live television, where like the world saw um, the Jacksons and Michael Jackson, like almost for the first time. It was so weird. Like, you know, again, I've been following the Jacksons since, you know, they were, you know, young men. And, you know, with the cartoons, <laughs> you know, I, I have all like the old Jackson 5 stuff and I saw them through their CBS years and they were on, they were on CBS Channel 2 here in Los Angeles. They had their own show. And it was like the, the world got to see how amazing, um, you know, this, you know, these brothers were, particularly Michael. And I felt like Purple Rain was kind of the same experience for me. Like I had, you know, loved Prince. I loved his music. And then it just seemed like it, he was opened up to the world in a way like never before. And, you know, it was like, it was bittersweet. Because, you know, like it's like when you have a, um, you know, when you find a new artist that you really dig and they're not popular yet there's something really cool about that and then they get popular and you're really happy for them but then you know they become popular so i i think i felt i felt that with with prince a bit uh, he'll he'll never be this underground <laughs> artist anymore not that he was totally underground but again you know i think uh, yeah 1999 was out um, before this album and little corvette was out and you know he was making some inroads in, on, on MTV uh, at the time. But um, yeah, so, you know, that's, I think, my experience of, of, of the film um, and this album and his, again, his, you know, skyrocketing into, <laughs> into fame. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I definitely feel like the film humanizes him in a way without humanizing him too much. Like he's still Prince and he's still this amazing musician, but you know, it made him accessible enough because even, you know, you just brought up 1999, like the song 1999 itself, like as popular as it was, it's like a song about like the end of times. You know, yeah. so even though Purple Rain has songs like Computer Blue and like Darling Nikki, um, it has some of his like most straightforward, accessible music. I mean, I, obviously the beginning of Let's Go Crazy is a little out there, but, you know, like Take Me With You and Even I Will Die For You, I feel like are some of the most like straightforward pop songs that he had written to, at this point. Yeah, 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 very much so. And, and yet, like, you know, I listened to the album again recently. It's, man, it's like the, the music is, it holds up. You know, it still sounds um, experimental, you know, and that's really hard. Um, <clears throat> even, I know, you, you know, we both listen to the Beatles and, and, Be- and the Beach Boys. And it's really hard to ever put ourselves back to how, like, you know, Pet Sounds or Sgt. Peppers or Rubber Soul must have sounded to people when it first came out. Like, it's just hard to imagine the shock (laughs) to hear the kinds of sounds and arrangements on those albums. And that's how I felt about Prince. Like, like, there was no one like Prince. The, The arrangements... Um, this this weird mixture of of rock and soul and um, sexuality and uh, you know that you could dance to and spirituality and politics. I mean, it was all wrapped up in there, and he could easily kind of move from one genre to the next and um, always experimenting. And so I, I you know I I see this as his most pop offering but even as i listened to it more recently it's like wow there there are moments where he he nevertheless keeps it pretty experimental and kind of you know a a little risque like you know darling nikki as you mentioned which i think if i recall at the time uh was cause for some of the um the labeling on albums after that (laughs) yeah darling nikki um upset tipper gore so much that they started labeling albums with, you know, parental advisories that there's yeah. explicit content. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. And, you know, there's this way in which, you know, the opening, like, it's got to be one of the classic openings ever for an album, right? Is the, the Let's Go Crazy opening with the, you know, it's, it's almost <laughs> like coming to church, right? Um, you're going to church with Prince. And, you know, it's just like, it's still prophetic in some ways to today. You know, I was just thinking about just the crazy times we live in and, um, you know, punch a higher floor. So I think it's, uh, you know, that, and, you know, he kind of basically ends the film. I know there's, uh, you know, maybe I'm gonna start at the very end, but, you know, I would die for you again. It's like this messianic, you know, imagery and, it's almost like it's a bookend, like you you basically went to church with, with Prince, which you know, which is kind of this weird weird thing. But I think for me personally as someone who um, 
you know, I, you know, I'm a, you know, minister now, but this kind of spiritual aspect to his lyrics is very mysterious. And yet like, is he like, what's he saying? Um, the way that I felt about Earth, Wind and Fire and other people who, you know, um, I think were very spiritual. Um, so, uh, I, I, I did appreciate that about his music. I, I did, um, yeah, the fact that he, you know, I, I can't recall, but, you know, to, again, to have an album like that, to have a, a, a film with, um, that kind of risk taking, um, you know, it wasn't so much that he totally sold out. He didn't sell out at all, in my opinion, uh, to make the film or to make the music. He was still true to himself. And yet, yeah, you're right. I think it was more accessible for the masses. And Yeah, like he knew that this could be his moment and he cashed in as, as much as he could have. Like he rose to the occasion of the moment, I guess is the better way to say it. Because I don't, you know, he didn't sell out. Like this is a very singular vision, I feel like, you know. Like I, I thought about introducing the film at the beginning of the podcast as just, you know, the Prince starring film. Because that's really what matters in Purple Rain. <laughs> it doesn't matter who directed it or who wrote it. It really just, you know, like he's such a force in the movie and obviously the soundtrack matches that yeah 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 i'm not sure conceptually how it how it all came together but the fact that you know he ended up really you know using the music to tell the story as much as you know the acting um you know which i'm sure like you know a lot of the the soundtracks that you feature in, in movies that you know, have this strong, memorable soundtrack. It's the soundtrack is as much a star as as the, as the actors themselves. I feel like that's that's very true of this film. Um, you know, obviously they're 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 con much of his concert scenes, but uh, and the music the music certainly adds and tells the story as much as what's going on on the screen. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I I I think I've read stories that. You know, he was writing songs while they were making the movie. I think the director told him he was looking for a specific song and mood, and then that's when Prince wrote When Doves Cry. Mm. Like, he was basically told, like, hey, I need something that feels like this, and Prince wrote it in a day. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I think, too, you know, looking back, I think the movie the movie um, has held up because, you know, there is a, there is a singular vision to the movie. Like if you just take the album by itself without like tying it to the film, the, the range of the kinds of songs are on the album. Uh, are, it's quite amazing. Like there's no two songs that sound the same, <laughs> you know, sometimes with soundtracks, you get certain themes throughout. And so there's kind of a thread um, for the soundtrack, but you don't see that here, like many soundtracks uh, to films, and and yet you know. So there's a way in which the film serves to hold the, the music together as well, um, just as much as the music serves the film. I mean, so in the movie, there's some pretty amazing live performances. 
you know, and in a way, like, I'm not sure how the director was able to capture that energy. Like, it's it's pretty, those like, those performances are so iconic. Uh, luckily, you and I were able to see him uh, in person. Yes. Even though, so we saw him, I don't, I don't know how long ago, it was maybe like seven or eight years ago. Yeah, probably around there, yeah. We probably saw maybe 30 years after Purple Rain, but he still knew how to bring it. You know, he was still amazing live. Yeah, I was, um, I think I was telling you all night, like, I was, like, so happy that he was, like, like he was in form, man. He, you know, he sounded good. He looked good. I mean, he, you know. You know, you know, artists sometimes age, um, and you could tell their, you know, their voice isn't quite the same, or you know, whatever they don't, they don't look like they used to. But man, he, I mean, he was Prince, and I think we were really, really lucky to see him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, he, he was not playing like he was a legacy act at all. You know, yeah. he like the energy he brought um you know he was dancing and playing the guitar you know he hit all the high notes like he was still the ultimate showman yeah and you know he wasn't just like you know going to the well and just playing all his hits i mean he certainly played a lot of his hits but it wasn't like a yeah it wasn't a <laughs> final tour kind of you know tribute show it was yeah, you know, he he played new stuff and old stuff, and um, you know I think in, in some ways, you know I don't know how much of the crowd just wanted to hear the hits, but the, the fact that he, you know, he was still an artist, you know, that was still making music, and um, yeah, it was just again kind of like the movie. I wasn't quite sure what to expect um, because he, you know, he was a little bit up in age, but. Man, I was like, I couldn't have been happier. <laughs> and might I add, we saw Prince in a pretty small venue. Yes, yes, yes. So he wasn't just like a dot, you know, <laughs> while we were in the nosebleeds. Like, we were, it was a standing room only show. And you kind of saw, and you could kind of tell that he reveled in that. Like, he liked playing in the small, smaller room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like, you know, those those surprise shows that he might show up at, except, you know, we knew this was, a, you know, he was going to be there, but it felt kind of like that. Like I, I vividly remember him like playing guitar and then like leaning back and having like the crowd kind of push him back on stage. Like it was kind of like a mini like crowd surf while he was still doing like 10 things at once. And it was just so amazing <laughs> to see that in person. Yeah. Yeah. And he was introducing his new band at the time. I think it was like called Third Eye Girl or Yeah, that's right. Like that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't think he gets enough credit as a collaborator. You know, he basically found these girls. I mean, they're all accomplished musicians, obviously, but, you know, he put this band together. And obviously this is their highest profile gig, you know, <laughs> It would be anyone's highest profile gig to play with Prince, but you know he's. Uh, I know obviously, you know he's had the Revolution and he's had New Power Generation, mm -hmm. but you know he's 
he's uh he's always been known to be a collaborator he's always been known to you know take other people's ideas into into account and you know he wrote for a lot of people and i think you know i think uh, the vault the infamous prince vault has released some of those um those compositions that he made for other people uh which is really interesting yeah yeah, I, I think I've read that, like with uh, Wendy and Lisa, you know, with um, the Revolution, how you know he he really you know he didn't control the process with them, like you know they were you know he treated them as equals. They contributed to music and lyrics. I think he wrote most mostly everything, but in terms of the music, and you know he just incorporated. Yeah, it was totally collaborative which you know which is different in the in the film right i think one of the um their two characters in the film wendy and lisa and the rest of the band i think they have they have a gripe with prince or the kid right because he um you know he doesn't he's not a collaborator um if i recall correctly but i think in real life he you know that as you mentioned he was a collaborator and i i mean I knew that, um, you know, I knew, I knew like the time and, you know, Vanity Six and, um, you know, Apollonia didn't really, um, she might have had like one hit kind of, but, um, you know, it had some of the similar sound and, uh, but again, you know, there's hardly nothing to read in those days. Uh, there wasn't the internet and so you weren't quite sure who was writing all this music and who was producing it even. And, um, I think Prince actually wrote a lot of that stuff if I'm not uh, mistaken. And, um, so his generosity too. I mean, we, of course we know about the bangles, but, um, yeah, just the generosity of, um, you know, songs are like babies, right? To artists. You would know this better than I do for him to, be so generous with with his work yeah absolutely and you know um asking for very little in return like i know he's written for madonna and um you know obviously he wrote for the time um you know there's a bunch of there's a whole album of of songs he wrote for other people but you know i i think all he really asked is like if i call you out to paisley park you better show up (laughs) Yeah, Sheena Easton in there somewhere, if I recall right, or yeah, yeah, like Manic Monday is obviously the big one that everyone points to, like oh man, Prince wrote that. Um, but you know, he yeah, he liked to write for other people. He, you know, he he wrote so much music. I guess he realized that he couldn't he couldn't hoard it all for himself. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, obviously Prince is gone. His legacy. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's a weird way. But, um, so let's talk a little bit about his legacy. I think the closest Purple Rain that has come out since is Eminem's Eight Mile, hmm. where it's kind of similar. You know, it's he's playing a character that very much seems like it's based on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a much more Hollywood sort of affair. You know, Brittany Murphy's in it. That Brittany Murphy is a much bigger name than anyone that was in Purple Rain. <laughs> Um, I remember reading something from Questlove. I think some reporter asked him, I don't know if it was like, 
it was like shortly after the movie premiered. So shortly after Eight Mile premiered, someone asked Questlove what he thought of the movie, and Questlove's response was, "I liked it better the first time when it was called Purple Rain." <laughs> uh, right on. And then I think the Roots ended up backing Eminem at the Oscars when he performed <laughs> Lose Yourself. So clearly it didn't bother Eminem that much. Probably made him uh, respect him even more. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's definitely one of those lightning in a bottle sort of things. Like, you can, you can never make another Purple Rain where the artist had that much control. Like, he basically made that film outside the Hollywood system. Yeah. I think the director was, you know, first-time director. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, probably not, not, the, not a huge budget, actually, for a film. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, you know, to basically cast all his friends in the movie. Like he, like if they tried to make Purple Rain like in twenty twenty, they would have they would you know even the revolution would all be actors. Right, right, yeah. right, right. right. Um, I think so, it's some, something to be said too. Um, I was just thinking about how, um, you know, his his career in some ways paralleled uh, Michael's career. They were they were a bit of rivals. Um, and, you know, there's a way in which, you know, you look at Thriller and you could look at Thriller in the same way that you look at Purple Rain. And, but there's clearly, like, Michael <laughs> fell off the cliff after, after Thriller. Like, his stuff just was never the same, wasn't ever as good. And you see that. You could see that line. And with Prince, as big as Purple Rain was, it's like... Um, you know, at some level, you know, his two other films, you know, just paled in comparison. But if people even remember them at all. But, you know, his music, like, in some ways, people, I think he had a wider audience. And people began to really respect him as an artist in ways that he never had that kind of adulation prior to Purple Rain. You know, before we were talking off uh, uh, outside this podcast, you were mentioning the Rolling Stones concert that he headlined for, you know, where I think he was in a trench coat and his bikini bottoms and, you know, got booed off the stage. So that was really Prince, you know, that's what I remember of him. And the fact that his his music endured after that, you know, obviously he had several, many, many, many great albums. Um, but that he was still making music all the way up to the end. That was interesting and you know, experimental. Um, you know, I, I think says a lot about him as an artist. Um, so. Yeah, on the on the Paisley Park tour, they played us um, a snippet of a song that he was working on, and he was working on a jazz album for Blue Note. Really, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, that's wow. what he was working on before cool. he passed. Our mutual love of Prince is also why we ended up watching probably the most famous uh, Prince cover band, Princess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that is a Prince cover band that is fronted by Maya Rudolph. Yes, yes. 
who's actually a great um a great singer herself yes she's a uh, minnie ripperton's daughter yes yes who i also listened to when i was younger um yeah, that that was fun. That was fun. And I have you to thank because I, I didn't know Maya Rudolph fronted this <laughs> cover band for Prince um, and, and didn't know she was a big fan. And, and uh, yeah, I, I don't remember too much of the show. I mean, I could visualize it. I just remember it was a lot of fun. It was, it was fun to see. Um, you know, she had fun with it, but in a way that was like, you know, she because she loves the music. She loves Prince, and it was fun. It was like also a way for <laughs> Prince fans to revel in the music, um, in a way that was like really celebratory. And yeah, it was just really cool. Yeah, I, I think I remember during Purple Rain, um, uh, she would like finger wags while while singing some of the lyrics, <laughs> and she would make facial expressions. You know, because. Uh, you know he's 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 doing a little bit of sing talking in that song um during during the verses so she got like really into it and you can tell like it's out of love like it's for like she knows the song that well that she can add those little flourishes yeah yeah but yeah, i remember she... like la- laughing and loving it at the same time yeah her and her um uh, uh, her partner up there or yeah, we're just really fantastic musicians. And it was, a, you know, it's just a great show. So, so much fun. Yeah, we were laughing with Prince, not at Prince. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I know for your listeners, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor now, and um, you know, I've, I've been in ministry for over thirty years, and I didn't grow up in the church, and when I, I came to faith, you know, this is like uh, 1982, I think is when I, uh, yeah, when I, I came to faith. Um, and <clears throat> and one of my first questions that I, I said was, do I have to give up my Prince albums <laughs> um, to follow Jesus, basically? And... Um, I'm so glad that I didn't, um, and um, yeah. So I still have my old old records, and um, yeah. And you know, the older I get, the you know, I just read today that it's somehow like like when you're when you're a child, like like you. You, like you're looking at life as life is happening. And then as you get older and older and older, it's mostly memory. And, you know, like you, I think so much of my life is shaped by music. You know, I can pinpoint songs and moments, important moments with like music and music has a way of always taking me back to those moments. And, um, yeah, Prince has always always been one of those artists that um, can always go back to, and yeah, the fact that his music has held up so well, and 
you know, amazingly, like 30 years later, still sounds fresh and experimental. Um, it's really a credit to him. So, yeah, the fact that, you know, I got, so part of my memory is, is being able to see Prince with you, and that's definitely one of the highlights of my life. And um, I'm not sure why I never saw him before. It's kind of like Stevie Wonder. I still haven't seen Stevie Wonder. We had to go see Stevie Wonder, man. <laughs> um, okay, I'm down. I'm down. Uh, like he's one of those artists that, gosh, I don't know. I haven't seen him. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Um, yeah. I, I miss talking uh, music with you, and um, usually I have no idea about uh, whatever artist you're talking about, but uh, I'm glad I could contribute a little bit to the conversation today. <laughs> it was great swapping print stories with you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Um, so... Um... Well, Kevin has nothing to plug, but um, uh, once again, thank you for coming on. Um, you know, if uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, you can subscribe to it, um, write a review. Um, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.